The Creek Church is a community of believers located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you would like more information about The Creek Church, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Well, good morning. How are we doing? Sun's out. It's awesome today. Isn't that awesome? Uh, if this is your first time, I'm Pastor Matt, and uh, like uh, Ron said, uh, if you'd fill out one of those guest cards, put that in the giving station. The giving stations are on your way out on the tables at the back, and just fill that out at the level of your comfort. We don't do anything weird with that. We want to get some information to you about who we are so we can help you in that decision and that process to get connected with the church. Um, a couple weeks ago, we rolled out the text giving, and um, Last week, Trinity had given you this update, but when we rolled it out, we said 25% of everything that came in through Thanksgiving was going to be given to the Van Tornado Relief Efforts. And uh, that afternoon, as we were praying about it, we just felt God calling us to give it all. So we gave all 100% of what came in to text through the text to give to the Van Tornado Relief Effort. And I wanted to update you on where that goes because um, as we were praying and talking about what organization or where to put those funds... Uh, we were we were thinking about our church, you know, and, and we've got so many teachers and educators in our church, and several schools in Van were, were destroyed and damaged, and teachers are having a tough time getting those classrooms put back together. So what we did is that money went to the Van ISD um, for the purposes of the teachers getting their rooms put back together. So thank you for your generosity in that, because uh, there are going to be kids that are going to be able to start the next school year um, with rooms completely ready to go, and teachers have, have help. I know that was an overwhelming cleanup. I know that was an overwhelming process, but thank you for being generous and being faithful to that, and um, we just gave that, and we're excited to see that kids' lives are going to be changed because teachers were able to get in and get what they needed done. Um, so keep on, keep on doing what you're doing. Uh, we're taking a break from Romans for the next couple of weeks. One of the things that we started talking about uh, at the beginning of the year when I, I said we always evaluate why we do the things we do. How we do things changes, but why we do them should never change. Every event we do at the Creek, whether it's the QFest, Spring Spectacular, um, VBS, everything that we do, we put on the chopping block and say, why do we do this? And then after it's done, why did we do it? And did it accomplish what we had hoped and prayed that it would accomplish? If it does, great. Let's start putting some thought into the next one. Or if it doesn't, then we need to do something different. And so we never want to lose the why. And that why is always to make Jesus clear and to love people and to ultimately give God glory for lives changed by the gospel. And if it doesn't fit those things, we don't need to do those. We're just wasting our time, in my opinion. And so over the next couple of weeks... We're going to take some time out of Romans just to give you a breather because the last, the last series in chapter 8 was kind of a tough one. So we want to give you a breather, but also we need to kind of hit some things that really bring us all in on the same page as a church and ask why. We're going to deal with the why question over several topics over the next several weeks about why we do the things we do. Um, breaking down our church, it's interesting. We've experienced incredible growth in the last six months and our breakdown happens like this. There, we have people in our services every weekend that have not yet made a decision to follow Christ. They have not yet uh, been saved or born again, as you, as you heard on the video. Um, and there hasn't been a decision to trust Jesus with everything they've got. So we've got people sitting in our services. And if you're one of those people, this is a safe place to be. This is a place where we can, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna make Jesus as clear as we can, but ultimately you've got to make a decision on what you're going to do with Jesus. 
Um, then we've got people in our church, which is, which is a, a, a good percentage of people in our church that are new to faith. They're new to church. They're new to faith. And so a lot of the things we do is like, well, this is kind of weird. Why do we do this? And um, so we're going to answer some of those questions. And then we've got people in our church that are mature believers. And let me just say this. Walking with Jesus for a number of years doesn't equate to spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity happens when you are getting in and truly spending time with the Lord and growing and he is developing you. And we've got people in our church that are strong. They're, they're mature believers and they're, they're not just disciples themselves. They are helping build disciples. So they're making disciples, they're equipping and they're teaching. And so we've got this breakdown in our, our church community. And some of you have grown up in church. Some of you grew up and walked away as soon as you could. Some of you, this whole thing is kind of a new experience. And so I want to kind of hit some, some why things that we do, some of the big things in churches. And uh, the first one I want to start with, I think is very foundational, is why do we follow Jesus? Why is Jesus the only way? Why, why, does, why do churches feel like they have a, a corner on the market of salvation that uh, we tend to hear things in society that all roads lead to heaven um, and, and all of this stuff? And uh, why do we say that Jesus is the only way? Because we believe in the truth and the word of God. When Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. In Acts, we're told in Acts chapter 4 that there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved other than the name of Jesus. So it's not that, that the churches are creating this thing so that we can build a little sustainable kingdom for ourselves. It, churches are charged, and, and I as a pastor am charged with one thing, to speak the truth of this book, to speak the truth of God's word, uh, regardless of how tough it is. And over the next several weeks, I want to look at some, some of those tough things that really pastors get charged with doing and, and churches are asked to follow and asked to engage in and we just need to understand why. There's a lot of things in my life that if you want to explain to me why, I can tend to go along with. Like traffic. If you can explain to me why it is taking so long to do all this, I'm still not going to enjoy sitting in traffic, but at least I can understand a bigger picture, right? And as a kid, remember as a kid, we were so inquisitive. I don't know why we lose that as adults, but it's like, why does it do this? And your kid just, they sound like that broken record, but why? But why? But why? And you know, why? Because. Why can't I do this? Because. Because why? Because. Because why? Because is the reason and that's why. That's what you end up doing, right? You're like, you just want the kid to stop. But asking why is important. It's, it challenges us. It, it draws us to really understand who we are, what we're doing. And that this question of why do I follow Jesus really kind of gets to the, to the root of our testimony. We're told in Revelation that, that we overcome. We overcome the world. We overcome our flesh. We overcome the enemy by the word of our testimony and the blood of the Lamb. So it takes what Jesus did on the cross and his blood shed for us to have a relationship with him. And then our life planted in, in Christ becomes our testimony. And that testimony gets us back to why we do this. A lot of times we don't wrestle with those. We as a staff really wrestled with this this week. You know, just asking each other the question, why do you follow Jesus? And that's a tough question. I mean, Mike said it's because he, he loves me unconditionally. And I'm, I'm sitting there watching that video this morning. I'm like, that's, enough, that, that's why I follow Jesus. I'm going to tell you the reason I follow Jesus in a little bit. 
But have you wrestled with that? Why do you follow Jesus? I mean, we get, we get caught up in church to try to think and teach about how to follow Jesus. We, we get caught up in, well, if you do this, then Jesus loves you. If you don't do this, Jesus won't love you. We get caught up in the how, how do I follow Christ? I want you to wrestle today with why. If you follow Christ, if you are a Christ follower, if you put your faith, your hope, your trust, everything in Christ's hands, I want you to challenge yourself. Why do I do this? Why do I follow Jesus? And, and then let's, let's look at this. Um, one, I want to look at Peter. We're going to look in John, Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. So if you got your Bible, meet me there. If you don't own a Bible, we keep some in the back cabinets for you. You can get those on your way in. You can get up at any point in the service and go grab one of those Bibles. If you've got a smartphone, you can find us on any app. You can even just Google Luke 5, and uh, you will get a ton of Google responses uh, to tell you how to get to that scripture. Um, Luke chapter 5 uh, deals with one of the disciples, Peter. Jesus called 12 disciples at the beginning of, of his ministry. And, and it's, it's a situation where you have Jesus walking up and saying, come follow me, and these men came. There's something compelling about Jesus that when we see him for who he really is, we have a desire to submit and follow him. Now, you've got men that left everything. They left their father. They left their family business. They left everything about the safety and the security and everything they've ever known and given up everything to follow Christ and completely pursue what he had. These disciples followed Jesus obediently, even so obediently that they ended up giving their lives for the gospel. Peter is one of, he's, he's one of the disciples that I think I like the best because he's willing to just say it. And sometimes I wish I had that courage to just like, just boom, here it is. And then, but, but he has to figure out how to clean up the damage after he says what he says. And I start thinking about that. But I want to look at Peter. I want to look at this experience and I want to kind of parallel it. But ultimately, we've got to get to us. I mean, we can look at Peter and we can make uh, speculations and we'll look at some truth of the scripture about why Peter follows Jesus. But let's, let's get it personal at the end here. So let's go Luke chapter 5. On one occasion, while the, while the crowd was pressing in on him, pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into the one of the boats, which was Simon's, Simon Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So what, what's happening here is Jesus has got a crowd going. He's teaching, he's teaching with authority, he's teaching the word of God, and, and people want to hear it. People want to hear truth, and people want to experience, they want, they want to know that there's something bigger than themselves. They want this connection, and Jesus is teaching them about life, he's teaching them about eternal life, he's teaching them about salvation, he's teaching them about his father, he's teaching them about a relationship, he's, everything that, that Jesus is, he is teaching and so what happens is the crowd grows and, and he looks around and goes, I need to get out a little bit. I got to get some distance so I can project my voice. He looks around. He sees the boats. He sees Simon's boat, Simon Peter. And he says, hey, take me out in your boat just a little bit from the shore so I can teach the people. So he sets up a little amphitheater kind of. So Jesus and Peter go out in the boat and then he's teaching the crowds. So that's, that's the scenario. And then, so here's what happens after Jesus has finished teaching. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing. 
but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their nets to the boats and their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. So this experience, something happened so significantly that it wasn't just Peter, but Andrew. Peter was in the boat with, with Peter. Andrew, James, and John, who were the sons of Zebedee, left everything and followed Jesus. There was something about Jesus that compelled them to go, that compelled them to walk away from everything and follow. And I think when you start breaking down this, I, I want to look at a couple points in this and then, then, then wrap it up with, with you and I. But when you look at Peter, he, he's, he, he's probably tired. I mean, the way they fished was all night. And so here you've got Jesus in the morning because the Peter and the other guys are washing their nets. After you fish with them, you have to wash them and clean them and dry them properly so they don't dry out. And so when fish do get caught, they break. So there's a process. So they're tired from fishing all night. Now they're cleaning up their gear and they're just ready to go get some rest. And here you got Jesus going, hey, take me out in your boat and I'm going to teach. And so he teaches. And then he says, hey, put your nets out in the deep side. And Simon answers this way. He says, Master, we fished all night. We toiled all night and didn't catch anything. When, we, when I first read this and, and, and saw that Peter called him Master, I thought, well, that, that's got to be like a term of respect. You know, it's like, like, sir, I'm tired, but I'm trying to be respectful. Sir, sir, you have no idea what I do for a living, but I'm showing you some respect, sir. I did this all night and didn't catch anything. It's not a sign of respect. Peter's recognizing that Jesus has authority. This word, that word, the Greek word that Peter uses is as though he's speaking to a chief commander or a governor. He's showing this respect because he's recognizing the authority that Jesus has. And he says, Master, We've done this all night. And, and this authority, I don't think just happened by hearing Jesus' teaching while he was sitting in the boat. Peter had met Jesus before. He brings him in and he meets Jesus. And Jesus, they'd spent a little bit of time with Jesus and then they went back to fishing. But what Jesus is calling him to now is full-time ministry, full-time discipleship. Come follow me, full-time. And I think Peter sees this authority that Jesus has. And we need to understand where Jesus gets his authority. Because then we've got to ask the question, okay, if Jesus has authority and Peter recognizes it, why does Jesus have authority? Or where does that authority come from? That authority comes from God. Here's what we've got to realize, that Jesus is God in the flesh. He is fully man and fully God. That as you, as you study God and you study this, you have God the Father, you have God the Son, and you have God the Holy Spirit. They are 
three and one. They are distinct individuals, yet three, yet one. And the authority that they have is shared. And so Jesus gets his authority from God the Father. Let me read to you. This is Jesus' prayer right before he is arrested in John 17. You don't have to turn there. I put it on the screens, but you can make a note and write it down. If you, when you have time later, I highly recommend you read John 17. Incredible chapter about Jesus' prayer. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom you have given them and given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. There's an authority that has been given to Jesus. When, uh, when Jesus, after his resurrection, we get the great commission before he's ascended into heaven. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Teach them to obey my commands, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you to the end of the age. But what Jesus says before that is all authority in heaven has been given to me. I have the power. I have the authority. Colossians 1 teaches us that all things are created by him and for him. And he is the firstborn in all creation. There is none before him. He holds that authority. There is nothing and no one in all of the universe, in all of creation that can come close to the authority that Jesus has. And you've got Peter recognizing the authority that is sitting with him in the boat. He doesn't just recognize his authority because the conversation goes on and he says, Master, we toiled all night and didn't catch anything. But at your word, I'll put my nets into the deep water." He was trusting him. And I think he was trusting him because what he recognized in Jesus was faithfulness. We're told in Revelation that the name on Jesus' horse and the name that he will bear when he rides back at his second coming is faithful and true. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So you've got the one who is faithful and true, the authority of all authorities, the King of kings, Lord of lords, sitting in the boat with Peter saying, cast your nets in the deep. And Peter says, because I recognize your faithfulness and your trustworthiness, I'm going to do it. This went against everything Peter knew in fishing. The way fishing was done on the Sea of Galilee is they would put their nets into the shallow water at night. They would fish all night in the shallow because when the sun went down, it would be cooler. The fish would come closer to the surface. You've got Jesus in the daytime going, throw it into the deep water. They catch such a catch. But it's, it's kind of like Jesus asking you to do something contrary to what you've done your whole life. And I can tell you this, that he can be trusted. Jesus can be trusted through whatever he calls us to do. In 2009, Heather and I were praying and we really believed that God was calling us to step out of where we were and launch a church. And I gotta tell you, man, I was, I, it was scary times. 
But what I have learned is that God can be trusted because he is trustworthy. I look at the fish, the amount of fish they caught, there's such a faithfulness and provision of God that, that Jesus is asking Peter to do something contrary to anything he'd ever known and to trust Jesus. And when he trusts Jesus, he sees the catch. He sees the result. And he sees his faithfulness in the provision. Now, in, in Heather and I's life, and since we launched the church five years ago, you know, God has been faithful to provide everything that the church needs. He's taken care of our family. He's taken care of the church. He's done things that completely blow my mind. And what I love about Peter is he didn't get selfish with the blessings of God. He didn't go, oh, Jesus gave me the command. He gave me the net, and I'm pulling all these fish into my boat. Peter's nets begin to break, and his boat begin to sink. And what did he do? He called other people. Hey, come on in. God's provision is enough. It's enough for me. It's enough for you. It's enough for us. And Peter could absolutely trust that. I can tell you from my experience, you can absolutely trust it. Whatever God calls you to do, he's going to take care of you in it. It doesn't mean that you're going to have so much fish you don't know what to do with, but he's going to provide for your needs according to his riches and glory. I hear people put God on this hook for just a crazy expectations that, well, if you give, it obligates God to give you so much back. I mean, like, like, I could teach this, well, Peter trusted God and he put 10 fish in the water, so God gave him this net full of fish. I, look, I'm not going to get into speaking about other gospels, but let me tell you, God's, the, the gospel that we have in scripture is a gospel of obedience and it's a gospel of provision. It doesn't mean God's going to make you rich when you submit your life to him. It doesn't mean God's going to keep you unhealthy and broke. But God is a God of provision. And God is going to take care of us. And he's faithful in it. When he says, I will supply all of your needs according to my riches and glory, he's faithful. When he tells you, don't worry about tomorrow because it has enough worry for itself. I've got you. Don't worry about the clothes you wear or what you'll eat. I've got you. Don't worry. Don't be anxious about it. I've got you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Can I tell you this? God is faithful. He is trustworthy. And Peter recognizes this. And he says, I can follow somebody who I can trust. I'm not going to submit my life to somebody that, that I think is out to get me. I'm not going to follow or be in a, a close relationship with somebody that I, I can't trust, that I don't think has my best interest at heart. I don't want to put my relationship energy into someone that if I'm going to put it all in, they're not willing to put everything into. And Jesus has already done it. And he is faithful. We talk about this faith. Where does faith, what is faith? We gotta have faith. You gotta have faith. You gotta believe, you gotta have faith. Where does faith come from? It comes from hearing the truth. It comes from hearing Jesus. It comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Not just Jesus sitting in the boat telling Peter, hey, put your net in the deep water. We have the word of Christ. My Bible has red letters. These are all the words that Jesus spoke himself. If you're struggling about hearing, if you're struggling with your faith, if you're at that low tide of faith, get in and read the red letters. 
If you're struggling, get around somebody that can help you. Because your net may be in, but you need some help pulling the net in. Don't try to do this faith by yourself. Call for other boats. Call for other nets. And so Peter recognizes his authority and his his faithfulness, and they catch this great catch of fish. And then what happens is Peter realizes really who's in his boat. And he falls at the feet of Jesus and he says, please go away from me because I am sinful and I'm unworthy to be in your presence. It reminds me of Isaiah 6 when Isaiah has the vision in the year that King Uzziah died. And he finds himself in the, in the presence of God, around the throne of God. And he, he sees incredible things and he experiences the incredible presence of God. And what does he do? He falls to his face and he says, woe to me, I'm a dead man because I'm a man of unclean lips and I am unworthy to be in the presence of a holy, perfect God. What does God do in Isaiah 6? An angel goes over and picks up a coal from the altar and he comes and he touches Isaiah's lips and he says, I've cleaned you up to be in my presence. In the boat, when Peter falls at Jesus and says, please, please go because I'm a sinful man. I'm unworthy to be in your presence. What does Jesus do? He said, no, you need to go because you're stinking up my boat. That's not what Jesus said. That's not in the red letter. There's no red letter that. Some of you are like, what? What translation are you teaching from? Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, from now on, you're going to catch men. And I want you to follow me. For, for, for Jesus to say to Peter, I want you to follow me. You see this word, come follow me, that, that phrase was common among rabbis in the first century. That was common among rabbis when they would interview potential disciples and they would invite that disciple to come and follow them. And what that meant was, I trust you to learn from me, to watch me, to follow me, and eventually do what I do. So you've got Peter, who obviously is not the best of the best and the brightest, or he would be following another rabbi. And at the feet of Jesus is saying, please go away, I'm a sinful man, I'm unworthy to be in your presence. And Jesus is saying, come and follow me. I believe in you, Peter, and I trust you, Peter, and I want to see you do the things that I'm going to do. What's incredible about the calling that Jesus placed on Peter's life is he's catching fish, he's catching live fish, and they're dying. And Jesus is saying, hey, you're going to go catch dead men to bring them life. And he recognized the holiness of God and the weight of that calling. And he recognized who Jesus is, the long-awaited Messiah. He recognized that he is the King of kings, Lord of lords. He is the only name under heaven by which men are saved. And that when he experienced what he did with Jesus, he was humbled and it drove him to his knees in worship. And Jesus said, come follow me. And he did. And and. What's interesting is these are things that sustained Peter when things got tough. 
Because Peter did have some tough times in his faith when you read through the gospel accounts. Jesus said, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. He says, that'll never happen. And it happened. Why? Because Jesus is trustworthy, is faithful and true. When he speaks it, he speaks truth. But after that, Peter was distraught. And what did Jesus do then? He didn't say, get out of my boat. He restored him. He forgave him. And this so transformed Peter's life that he not only spoke the gospel, he was willing to give his life for the gospel. And in Acts chapter two, Peter steps out and he's speaking the gospel and he's making Jesus clear. And I don't don't know if he's going through all his reasons why he follows Jesus. There was a lot of questions around them. Why do you follow this man? There's a lot of questions in our society today. Why do you follow Jesus? Why do you submit your life to that? Why do you give your time into that? Why do you give your money into that? Why do you do the things you do? And Peter, as he's teaching, I don't know if it was in the back of his mind, he's thinking about the boat. He's like, man, I remember, like while he's teaching, I remember that day Jesus stepped into my boat and we caught so many fish. And he said, Peter, you're gonna catch men. And he's looking out in Jerusalem and there's God-fearing people from all nations that had gathered there for the, for the feast. And he starts preaching Jesus and people are turning. They're giving their life to Christ and he's seeing transformation and he's seeing people submit. They're seeing people recognize the authority of Jesus and the faithfulness of Christ and the holiness of God. And they're saying, that's what I wanna put my life in. And 3,000 that day gave their life to Christ. And Peter goes on and he's preaching. Jesus so transformed his life that he gave everything even his last breath for the gospel. What is the gospel? Why why would it compel somebody to do that? The gospel is this, is that Jesus is the son of God and that he was born of a virgin. He walked a perfect life. He is fully man, fully God, never sinned in his days on earth. And he gave his life. It wasn't taken from him. He gave his life on a cross. And the blood that he shed because he was a perfect holy sacrifice paid the atonement for our sin, paid the way for us who are born separated from God to be saved. And then he was laid in a borrowed tomb. And in that tomb, he defeated death, defeated hell, defeated the grave. And on Easter morning, Easter Sunday, that Sunday, that third day, he walked victoriously from the tomb, victorious over everything that could even try to hold him down. That's the gospel. It gets better. We can have life. That we who are born dead can be given life through Christ. So why do I follow Jesus? Here's what I've learned. There can be no weak or false motives in following Jesus. Those get found out. That's like building your house on the sand. Well, I follow Jesus because of, of, of what he's going to give me. I follow Jesus because of status. I follow Jesus because that's what the crowd does. I follow Jesus because, you know, he gives me health. He gives me this. Let me tell you something. Do not reduce following Jesus to what he gives you. But follow Jesus because of who he is. He is the son of God. He is the name under heaven by which men can be saved. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way to life is through Christ. So why do I follow Jesus? I was dead and he made me alive. 
But more than that, he has revealed himself for who he is. He is the Messiah. He is God. And he has invited me to worship him, to serve him, to love him, and to submit every last breath I have for his gospel. It's kind of like the man in John 9 that was blind and the, the, the priest are asking him, what happened? Who was this man? What happened? He says, look, only thing I can tell you is I was blind, but now I see. But then Jesus asked the man, he goes, look, would you worship the son of God? And he said, yes, if I could see him. And Jesus says, you see him now. And he says, I believe. And he fell at his feet and he worshiped him. So, so what, about, what about you? Let's, let's bring this real. What about you? Why do you follow Jesus? Do you follow Jesus? Do you follow him at a distance like the crowd of, of seeing what, what trick he's going to perform or is he going to do a healing today or is he going to walk on water? Is he going to do this? Or, or, or I'm going to be a part of the crowd of what can you do for me? Because there's a lot of crowds that followed Jesus because he would feed them. Gave him bread. But those crowds started winnowing down when he started talking about what it means to follow Christ. What does it mean? It's not just a recognition of his authority and his faithfulness and his holiness, but it is this. It is denying yourself. It is taking up your cross and following him. What does it mean to take up your cross? It's saying I'm submitting my life, everything. I'm willing to die to my ambitions, to my motives, to my desires and say, Jesus, I'm putting it all in your hands and I trust you with every bit of it. Here's what I've learned. When we fully recognize who Jesus is, we can fully submit to everything he calls us to do. I'm gonna have Adam sing this song. And I want you to just, you can close your eyes, you can sing along, whatever you wanna do, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to start wrestling with this question. Why do I follow Jesus? Maybe it's the question you'd ask, do I follow Jesus? Have you seen Jesus for who he really is? I want you to wrestle with that, not just in this few minutes, but, but I want you to take this question and I want you to wrestle with this today and this week and start asking yourselves, why do I follow Jesus? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning
so that we could be made alive. But there's no other way that we find life. There's no other way we find hope. There's no other way we find an eternal relationship without the cross. And the cross stands for all of eternity of your sacrifice, of your blood shed, so that we could be whole, so that we could be made alive. And I thank you, Jesus, for your resurrection. I thank you for your authority and faithfulness and holiness. And I pray that we live the life you've called us to live, the life you've created us to live under your authority, in your faithfulness, pursuing your holiness. Lord, help us all right now to make that decision that we will follow you. Lord, help us to always remember why we follow you. That even when the enemy tries to steal that from us, we follow you because you are the way, the truth, and the life. We follow you because you are the Son of God. You are our Messiah, our Savior. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Creek Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Thank you.